My friends, the, uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is inherently relational. Indeed, I think I can safely make the claim that the Christian faith is the only truly relational religion in the world. All other religious expressions, including secular expressions of faith, uh, ultimately rely upon the self-efforts of the participants to somehow find their way. Whether it be the very primitive, uh, animistic kinds of religions in which they're attempting to buy off the spirit world through certain sacrifices or efforts to the more sophisticated philosophical systems of the mind, but they all ultimately are mankind's attempt to reach beyond themselves and to touch the divine. Only Christianity, only Christianity, has God reaching out to us. God, creator of heaven and earth, eternally in a loving fellowship relationship in the Godhead, Father and Son and Spirit, opens up that relationship, first in creation and then in redemption. The initiative, my friends, lies all with him and not with us. We don't reach to him. He reached out to us. He sent his own son into this world as the ultimate expression of that love to resolve the impassable, impenetrable, relational barrier of sin. And he willingly bore our sin on that tree. He died that we might live. And he lives forevermore. And opens that relationship up to us by faith. That we should be called the children of God. This is the Easter message. This is the glorious truth of the Christian faith. And I can't think of a better time of year than to put into, to put into practice the, the essentially relational nature of the gospel than Easter, than Resurrection Sunday. Consider, if you will, the possibility, yea, the scary possibility of inviting someone to share the celebration with you, to open up your heart, your home, and your table to share Easter dinner with a neighbor or a coworker or a friend. Invite them in. Let them see 
What a profound difference the resurrection has made in your lives. May God grant us grace and a loving heart to take a chance. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and we are returning for the third time, particular to verses 5 and 6 of the first chapter, in a message entitled, Sharing Sonship. Sharing Sonship. Paul writes here in the first chapter, beginning in verse 5, that in love he, that is the Father, predestined or predetermined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. We looked closely at those verses two weeks ago, and I'm not going to return to that again. If you've missed it, it's available on our website, and I direct you there. But last week, and again this week, and likely one more week following that, I want to tease out with you the glories of adoption, the benefits and privileges that flow to us as children of the living God. We noted last time that there were 15 benefits of adoption, 15 of them. And they are, as we contemplate them, as we, and we're not exhausting these benefits to be sure, but, but looking at them with a little bit of detail, they are wonderful truths that as we think on these, as we meditate on these, as we ponder these, both here this morning together in our brief time and throughout the week, they will lift our faith and help us to escape the trap of cold orthodoxy that can overcome us. The gospel is about relations, and adoption is an ultimately relational reality. What is it? Adoption is simply this. It is God's declaration, legal declaration, that those who were once not his children, but indeed were children of another, sold into bondage to sin, have been severed from that old relationship and have been legally brought into a new family and made heirs of the Father, joint heirs with his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a legal declaration. It is a legal reality, but it has so much 
relational, practical outworking. Once we have moved from this old family and its relationships to sin and into this new family. And this relationship with God the Father through his Son. Fifteen of them. We started it last week. I believe we got through four last week. We'll see how we do this week. They were this first, the indwelling Holy Spirit, first benefit of adoption, the indwelling Holy Spirit who frees us from bondage to sin and enables and promotes our fellowship with the Father. The first incredible benefit, and and if there were no more than this, this would be amazing in and of itself. That God takes up residence within us, the indwelling Spirit of God. Second, the witness to our sonship via the indwelling Spirit of God. It is the Spirit's witness to us through the Word and as He witnesses to His, the Spirit to our spirit that we are sons of the living God. It is that certain sense of certainty that we are children of God. An incredible benefit. Incredible benefit. Third, intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with the Father. That is the, the, the loving, intimate relationship that Father and Son have shared for all of eternity is now opened to us. Notice here at the end of verse 6 where it says, He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Notice how he refers to Christ here, the Beloved. And because of adoption, we now are also Beloved Children of God. There is an intimacy with God. Fourth, was the privilege or is the privilege of coming boldly any time in prayer? The fact that you don't need to make an appointment. You can always come to your Father. And He always is interested in what's happening with you. Your deepest fears hopes, longings, concerns can all be brought to your Father any time, any day. And he welcomes them. He welcomes them. Fifth, the fifth benefit of adoption is the promise that the Spirit intercedes for us in our weaknesses. The fifth benefit of our adoption as children of the living God is the promise that the Spirit who indwells us intercedes for us on our behalf in the midst of our weaknesses. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, this great chapter on the ministry of the Spirit. Well, Paul writes, beginning in verse 26, In the same way, in what same way? 
in the same way as hope sustains us. Look at verses 24 and 25. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. That is that the hope sustains us. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, that is the Father, who searches the hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, what the Spirit is, because he, that is the Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He helps us, verse 26, in our weakness. I think the English there is under-translated. The idea here is is a heavy, heavy burden, too great to carry. And it is the Spirit who who comes along and, and lifts that burden and carries it for us. Well, what is the burden? The burden is our inability, as Paul says here, to to know how to pray as we should. Now, we know whom to pray to, don't we? That's never in doubt. And stylistically, we know how to pray. Eyes open. Eyes closed, standing, kneeling, walking around, laying, driving. Eyes open, please. So it's not a how about mechanics. It's a how really related to the question of what. We don't sometimes know what to pray. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? In the midst of, of, of life and some of the heaviest burdens of life, we just don't know what to pray for. In particular, notice the end of verse 27, the will of God. And see, if we pray according to the will of God, there is an ironclad promise that he will do what? He will hear and answer that prayer. But many times, we don't know what the will of God is. We're not sure what the will of God is. That the the circumstances in which we find ourselves are so complex, so difficult, so weighty, so scary, that we really don't know what the will of God is. And so we don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray. Ever find yourself there? Ever find yourself at a loss for words when it comes to prayer? But because we are part of the family of God, God himself, the person of his spirit, intercedes for us. 
He intercedes for us. And noting with groanings too deep for words. The idea here is, is not that, that it's so deep the Spirit of God can't even put it into words. That's not the point. The, the idea here behind the groanings are is that there is such pain and, and difficulty associated with this that, that a groan is really the only thing appropriate. And so the Spirit, as he is, he is coming alongside us and lifting this burden for us, is entering into this, and, and our groaning becomes his groaning. Notice the progression, by the way, here. Verse 22 of the chapter. Creation is groaning. Do you see it? And then verse 23, we are groaning. Both creation and us as believers, we are growing. Because why? Well, because we're in a broken world. And we really want it to stop. The result of being in that broken world and all the pain associated with it, we find ourselves unable to pray, not knowing what to pray, speechless, helpless, But because we are sons and daughters of the living God, the Spirit himself prays and intercedes for us. And he knows the will of God. He knows the mind of God. And so his prayer on our behalf is always answered. Always answered. What a blessing, my friends, huh? What a blessing that the Spirit of God intercedes for you. Sixth, the sixth benefit of adoption is the desire and the ability to ask And the promise that the Father will instantly restore the fellowship which we have broken because of our sin and faithlessness. Hmm? We damage relationships, don't we? I mean, we're really honest about our own lives. We, we We are a bull in a china shop. We are a walking catastrophe. Bruising relationships all over the place. You're hard to get along with. Did you know that? And so am I. That's just at the human level. But we are also frequently and regularly damaging the fellowship the closeness of the family vis-a-vis our Father. When we act faithlessly, when we act sinfully, we damage that relationship. Not eternally. It's not that we don't become children. We can't undo what has, be- what has happened. But just like in a human family, I mean, when, when your children act faithlessly or, or sin, they don't become, you know, not your children. Or when a husband and a wife sin or act faithlessly toward one another, they don't then become no longer husband and wife, but there's space, there's damage in the relationship. 
And it's got to be resolved. And here's the amazing thing, is that by virtue of our adoption, we now have both the desire and ability to, to resolve all of that. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 12. Verse 9. Pray then in this way. Verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts, Father. Please. First John one nine. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Huh. That's a promise for the family. That's a family promise. It's a benefit that is ours by virtue of the fact that we are the children of God. We don't have to perform penance. There's no, there's no list of things we must do. Somehow buy our way back into our Father's good favor. Somehow really, really convince Him that this time we're sorry. Bargain with Him. That if he he will forgive us this time, we promise we'll never do it again. Make some kind of a crazy vow. Our Father's orientation towards us is just like the Father in Luke 15 in the prodigal son. He sees his son at a distance. And by the way, the only way to see your son at a distance is to be looking for your son. And as soon as he sees him, he reaches down and he he grabs hold of his robe and he pulls it up between his knees and he takes off running. Luke 15, 20. Out to greet his son and to welcome him home again. Beloved, that's exactly the picture of how the Father relates to you and I. As soon as we acknowledge our sin, 
acknowledge that, that we are the one who has disrupted the fellowship, broken the relationship in that way. The moment we own it, we find his arms all around us, kissing us on the cheek. Every week as part of our time of reading the scriptures and praying together, we, we offer an opportunity for such confession. Why? Just enter into the presence of the Lord in worship. Right? Any of that, any of that relational barnacles need to be taken away. But here's the amazing thing: it can all happen that fast. God's not sitting there with his arms folded on his chest and tapping his foot and saying, you know, well, maybe I'll take you, then maybe I won't. His arms are wide open. Wide open to you. And wide open to me. So listen, if you find yourself right now in this place where there's some distance in the relationship, and if there is, you'll know it. You can resolve it right now. Right now. Call out to your Father. Confess your sin. And He will forgive you. And that relationship will be completely restored again in the, in the beauty of the fellowship of the family of God. That fast. All made good. Seventh. Kind of relates to this. But the seventh blessing of adoption is the blessing of fatherly discipline when we are wayward. The blessing of fatherly discipline when we are wayward. Hebrews chapter 12. Your father... Who loves you and loves you so much that he gave his own son to restore the relationship and to bring you into the family will not allow you to wander for long. He will chase you down. He will chase you down. He will bless you with discipline. Now, I can remember as a child my father saying, This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I used to think to myself, but was wise enough not to vocalize. Why don't you spare us both some trouble <laughs> and let this one go? Right, children? It's hard in the midst of it to, to believe that the discipline is an expression of your father's love for you. Well, guess what? You grow up to be old like me, and it's still difficult to believe. But it's true. 
But it is true. The writer here in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, he says in beginning in verse 5, a little bit down in the verse, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. That's an understatement, is it not? But sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What's the argument here? What's the point? The point is that in the human realm, a father disciplines his children. And a father who will not discipline his children does not love his children. Actually, he despises them. For he cares not how their character is formed. He treats them not as sons. Much more so, the father of spirits disciplines you and I. How? All kinds of ways. Affliction, trials, troubles, pain, suffering, sorrows, frustrations, other people, bodily illnesses, all kinds of ways. Because he hates us? Is cruel? No. Because he loves us. Because he loves us. And he knows that discipline afterwards yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That if he did not stop our madness, we would surely go astray. Now, am I saying that every single affliction that comes upon you is the Father's chastisement and discipline because of your poor behaviors? No, I am not saying that. 
But sometimes that may well be what it is. Well, how do I know the difference? How do I know the difference? Well, I would suggest to you that sometimes you might not ever know the difference. That is, you don't know the end from the beginning. And so the, the eventuation, the, uh, the results of the path upon which you find yourself, you can't foresee. And so the fact that God has cut you off from something, he may how well through that discipline have spared you a lot. And you'll just never know. But there are other circumstances How do we know? The Spirit of God, using the Word of God, as He searches our hearts, will reveal that reality to you and to me. Find yourself in the midst of difficulties this morning, ask yourself, and ask God to help you. Father, is this the result of my sin? Have I brought this on myself? If so, then it's, then it's a loving expression, and, and it's not something to be avoided. It's something to be embraced and to, and to learn from it, to run to you and not from you. Scripture tells us that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Isn't that fascinating? the very Son of God, through a veil of tears. If that's true of him, my friends, it is true of us. When you find yourself in the middle of difficulty, check, see whether this might be the loving chastisement of a father that you need to embrace and learn from. And not try to slip out so that you learn the lesson again another day, huh? Way better, way better to stay there, learn the lesson, and move on. The blessing of fatherly discipline when we are wayward. Eight. The eighth benefit of adoption is the Father's compassionate promise of provision. The Father's compassionate promise of provision. Psalm 103, verses 13 and Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Boy, is that comforting. Boy, is that comforting, huh? God has compassion on us because he knows our weaknesses.
That's a father who loves. That's a father who loves. That's not a, it's not a father who presents this unreasonable standard. It's a father who knows us and loves us and, and understands our weaknesses. And is compassionate towards us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 32. Matthew 6, really beginning in verse 25, this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, deals with the anxiety that often arises within our hearts with regard to our own physical well-being. He deals with the topic of food in verse 26, our future in verse 27, our fashion in verses 28 through 31, and our family, as it were, in verses 32 and 33. But in particular, verse 32, Jesus says, For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. What things? Well, food and fashion and their future and all of those sort of things. They eagerly seek all these things. But your, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Isn't that an amazing statement? Well, this is a loving Father. He knows exactly what we need. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Chapter 7, verse 11, Matthew, Matthew 7 and 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? The Father provides for his children exactly what we need. He knows our frame, he knows our weaknesses, and he provides He provides for our needs, not our greeds, but our needs. How often we confuse the two, huh? Jesus clung to his father the compassion of his father, the promise of provision of his father throughout his life. But I think the example that stands out the most is there that night in the garden in Gethsemane where he is facing the bearing of the wrath of his own father for the sin of his people for all time. And he calls out, Abba, Father. Daddy, if there is any other way, if there's any other way than this, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus believed in his Father's compassion and a promise that he would not allow his Holy One to undergo decay. 
that his father would raise him from the dead. And he clung to that promise, knowing the character of the father. And beloved, that's for you and me. Maybe you're in a place right now where things are really, really hard. We prayed earlier. Some, some of you have financial needs that are great. Maybe you're unemployed right now or underemployed. The economy is terrible. The government's lying, by the way. The economy's terrible. Inflation is beginning to run rampant. Go to the grocery store. Check your health care provisions. It's hard. People are suffering. And maybe you're in that place. But God will not allow you to go hungry. He knows what you need, and he will provide for you. And if he provided for his own son in his hour of greatest need in the Garden of Gethsemane, He will provide for you. Because you are his adopted son. Hang on to that. Maybe you're in the middle of suffering, bodily afflictions, relational pains. The list of human woes is long, is it not? Your Father knows your need. He will care for you. Hang on to that reality. Hang on. And remember this, that God is hanging on to you. Let's pray. Our Father, we just think about some of these these truths, these, these benefits that are ours as a result of adoption. This is the love of God that we should be called the children of God. May your spirit... Anchor our soul in these truths. May they lift our spirit today and this week. For those among us who are presently, right now, as they they sit here this morning, are in great difficulty. Some of it of their own making and others for reasons and circumstances beyond themselves. May you instill them with hope. May they recognize that to the extent that it is a result of sin that your arms are wide open for them if they will but repent and, and turn and you will run to them and embrace them. May you help them to be assured that they will not go hungry this week. 
that they will have a place to live, a roof over their heads, clothes on their back, that you will provide. As you have promised your children, you will provide. For those who find themselves in the unhappy receiving end of your loving chastisement, may you enable them, Father, to embrace this, to receive the correction from the hand of a loving Father to put them back on the path of life. Our Father, you manifest your love to us in so many, many ways. This week we live particularly in light of the reality of the greatest demonstration of that love. In Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Father, may you help us to think on these things for Jesus' sake.